Hey guys, before we start the show, I want to talk directly to all the youth sports leaders out there. Have you ever had to get creative with how you handle replacing a lost jersey or help that new kid get a uniform well past the ordering window? Are you tired of handing out gear, managing orders, and stashing boxes in the basement? Hey, Squad Locker's here to change the game for you. Through our custom online store, you can offer a mix of custom sublimated, printed, and embroidered uniforms, plus team gear and spirit wear, all in one spot. Your always open store can serve coaches, players, parents, and fans directly and on demand, allowing for a seamless process from preseason to your championship run. Check out squadlocker.com forward slash suit up. That's squadlocker.com forward slash suit up to learn more. And now, on with the show. You're listening to On The Whistle, the podcast that explores the impact that coaches, teachers, and mentors from youth sports organizations and schools have on young people's lives. Here's our host and Squad Locker CEO, Gary Goldberg. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of On The Whistle. I'm your host, Gary Goldberg, and I've got my trusty sidekick, Max McVeigh, with us. And today, uh, we're excited to welcome... Bior Guini. Did I did I get that correctly? Perfect. Excellent. Uh, Bior is the executive director of a really interesting organization called Beat the Streets New England. Uh, but before we get into that, um, Bior has a really fascinating and interesting history. She studied uh, at Menlo College where she participated in the wrestling team. From there, she has additional education from Cornell, Tufts, and Harvard. She's a chairperson of USA Wrestling Massachusetts. And uh, Bior, welcome to the program. It's nice to have you. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So I'd like to just confront a little bit of the obvious and the unusual. Um, I didn't know that there was women's wrestling. Yeah, that is something that we come across quite often. It is actually the fastest growing sport for high school and collegiate age girls in the nation. And so when I was wrestling in high school, I had to wrestle on a boys team because there was no offerings for females at that time. And then, and this is back in 2000, like early 2000s. And since then it's grown from about 1200 girls participating to almost 30,000. Wow. And it's incredible. And the young women are excelling. I mean, 2004 women's wrestling was brought into the Olympics and this year we're bringing probably the strongest team we've ever had. I mean, multiple world champions on that team, multiple year world champions on that team. And so it's really exciting to see what this year is going to bring for women's wrestling. Why do you think it was that uh, women weren't seen as participants in wrestling up until the point where it started to get integrated? What were some of the challenges or roadblocks? Um, you know, it was a sport that for so long uh, was looked to be very masculine. It's a combat sport. Um, it's one of the oldest sports, you know, of all time, one of the original Olympic sports. And so I think they're just, it just wasn't thought upon as like something women would want to participate in or something that they can see women doing. But it's such a technical sport and there's so much finesse and agility and flexibility that goes into it. But it's just very natural. I mean, we're all born wrestlers. Everybody type can do it. And um, 
the more, and I feel like all these coaches just ended up having daughters. So it almost forced the movement mm. uh, as, as God, all good God things has happen. A, God has a funny way of doing things. <laughs> I know. We're like, thank you. And that's really, I think what the driving force was one, there was a lot of, of male allies because why not have those same opportunities for your daughters as you would your sons. And uh, just seeing that the, the girls were so dedicated and, and willing and, you know, showing up, showing up every day and that the sport in itself has this built in, um, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just like this honor and integrity and respect that comes with like just showing up because it's so hard to wrestle. It is so hard. And so whether you've done it for years or for a week, it resonates with you and it, you take it with you forever. And I think they started, uh, you know, everyone started realizing like if these girls keep showing up, we better continue to offer opportunities for them to, um, to wrestle, not just here, but beyond. For our listeners, um, many think of wrestling as an entertainment sport because it's not easy to find wrestling content. It's not like you turn on Sunday at 1 p.m. in the winter and there's a great wrestling match on NBC. Collegiate wrestling is often found on like ESPNU, not the straight ESPN. There's not a lot of top 10 highlights on ESPN for collegiate wrestling or high school wrestling. So explain to our audience the difference, or you use the term, it's a finesse sport. Uh, two of my sons wrestled in high school. As a parent, it is the absolute most difficult thing to watch your child do because that boy or girl is out there all alone. And the entire group of audience members is watching them either getting you know, effectively pinned, losing, or struggling to win. It's a, it's it's not easy as a parent to watch that sport. But yeah. talk, explain to our audience what this type of wrestling is and where the finesse comes into and the body mechanics and the leverage and all those interesting things. Absolutely. So I actually joined wrestling because I thought I was signing up for something more like WWE. I will openly admit that a lot of our kids are looking for that like entertainment uh, style of wrestling because that's absolutely right. It's what we see on TV. And so um, unless you are watching like ESPN, you or now there's even like flow wrestling, flow grappling, a lot of other avenues and a lot of movement and making wrestling more accessible outside of just the NCAAs. Uh, you're seeing a lot more kids coming into it. And S MMA has a big role in that as well, right? Now mm -hmm. being able to see that the the highest percentage of champions our wrestlers, like 28 of the previous champions are wrestlers. And then the next tier would be 17 in jujitsu. Um, so it, it's there, it's out there. People are being more uh, aware of, of what wrestling brings to the table and just how incredible the core sport it is. Um, I, I got into it again, thinking that I was signing up for, for WWE. <laughs> it was very different. It was um, like I said, something that was very technical, very difficult, but it teaches you so many lessons in such a short period of time because you are out there by yourself, but you are responsible for, for a team as well. And it doesn't just matter what you're doing in that practice room. You have to live that lifestyle off from that as well. So making sure that you're taking good care of your body, that you're taking good care of your mindset, that you're coming into it, knowing that there's a 50, 50 chance that you're going to lose, but there's also a 50, 50 chance that you're going to win. And so coming into it with that mindset of, whatever happens today, I'm going to learn and I'm going to take that with me to the next, uh, next match because you could be wrestling 15 minutes later. And so recovery time and reassessing and, and moving forward is really important. 
what I really appreciate it is it's one of the oldest sports out there and it's continuing to evolve and there's no way that you're going to learn every single thing that wrestling has to teach you. It's constantly uh, growing and people are getting really excited about, you know, moving your hand like half an inch this way or, or uh, you know, taking a step this way. And so it's ever evolving and there's three styles. So the original is Greco, right? That's what you're going to see um, with the Greeks and Romans. And that's what's been happening for, for the longest period of time. Freestyle being the second um, second version of that and probably the most popular in the world. And then in the U.S., we have our own style because we love to do that, right? There's rugby for the world and soccer for the world. There's football for us. Mm-hmm. There's uh, freestyle and Greco for the world. And we're like, we're going to go ahead and do folk style and folk style is incredible. There's a lot of like scrambles and movements and um, just a lot of situations that you see the kids getting into that really showcases their agility and ability and talent. And so all three styles, uh, when you are competent in all three, it just makes you an incredible asset and an athlete. You mentioned flow, flow wrestling. Um, One of the investors in squad locker, you know, our sponsor and, and the company that I help run uh, Causeway Media Partners also is an investor in Flow Sports. Just interesting to know that. Talk a little bit about what Flow Wrestling is and what is that content like? And if you want, if our audience members want to check it out, like how do they do it? What should they do? Where do I go watch some of the things that you're interested in? Yeah, absolutely. So you go to Flow Wrestling, um, their online platform, uh, flowwrestling.com, I hope. And if not, please correct me. And they have they list like every single event there's actually uh, on the mats. Now there is live video of what's happening. So whether it is a local event that is in your hometown that happens to have the, the system set up or it's a national event or international event, you can catch it on flow. Um, you know, they do have like a membership base or you can get event base um, uh, ordering for that. And the really cool thing about flow is not only does it have the videos, they do articles, newsletters, there's a lot of great matchups that they do. So they're really promoting what you'd like to see. Oftentimes you don't see our U.S. team wrestling each other. They're traveling. So if you really want to know like who's number one is, is one of the things that they showcase on there um, and, and who we have representing our country and watching them outside of just like the qualifiers uh, wrestle off and wrestle each other in a fun and engaging way. Like Flo does an excellent job of that. And so does everyone that sponsor them. Uh, there's also Flo Arena. So you can check rankings. You can see live updates from matches. Uh, and again, you can go back and get your video content and do video review because all of your matches, if you are at an event that has Flo, you now have access to them, which is incredible. I used to never get to watch my matches unless like if any of you remember this, there was like these, VHS tapes. Sure. You would get. Remember it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. my, my parent, I'm significantly older than you are, but we had a player in my house and we had a bootleg version of Star Star Wars, the first the first movie. And I think I watched it after school for like, you know, 300 days in a row. Uh, we had this incredible team dad who like would just show up with this box and it had like all of our names for our high school team. Yeah, cool. So when you're up, he would be grabbing your VHS and like wow. popping it in there, recording your match. And then at the end of the season, he would give it to you. Uh, Mr. Shanet, he was incredible. And just being able to go back and like rewind and watch your matches, that, that was very rare. He had to be there for you to get to see that. And you'd only maybe get one match or two. But now there's so much access to your matches and learning from them and, you know, getting that footage and moving forward. So we're thankful for um, organizations like flow that put that together and have really made wrestling a lot more accessible. 
So you graduated college. I, I feel like, you know, you hung up the wrestling shoes, so to speak, and then you entered um, management roles and you end up at Beat the Streets, New England. Talk a little bit about that transition from being a wrestler to help managing wrestling programs. And how, yeah. did you, how did you prepare yourself for that? And what are the unique qualifications in order to be capable of that job? I, when, you know, we didn't know that there were opportunities outside of wrestling. So when I was done with the sport, I thought I was done with wrestling for life. I was like, you know what? I hung it up. I went into management, like you said. Then I actually moved to Bermuda and I found rugby when I was there. And there was just this need to participate in something um, that was physical and exciting and engaging and, and rugby filled that um, for me. And I actually ended up being a part of the very first women's national team for, for Bermuda because before that they were doing uh, like flag rugby or touch rugby and then transitioning to contact was, was really incredible. So from Bermuda, I moved to Boston and Boston was a really hard town to Boston's to a tough into. town. Boston's, Boston's tough. a tough town. It yeah. is. And, uh, I just, I, I tried rugby here. It was very different. The dynamic wasn't as, um, it was incredible, incredible people, but it wasn't quite what I was looking for when I moved to Boston. And so it just clicked. I was like, I need wrestling. I need something. And um, I ended up finding this gym in Cambridge because they had listed wrestling on their website. And uh, I showed up, I went to the very first like jujitsu class and I ended up getting paired with uh, one of the higher ranked belts. And, um, he was like, Oh, your, your movements are really good. Have you wrestled before? And I was like, Oh, I did wrestle. I wrestled in high school and college. And he's like, where'd you go? And I told him the town that I grew up in. He's like, Oh, actually my dad is a teacher there. And I was like, your dad was my teacher. And then he was like, Oh, you know, this is the year that I went. And it turns out that me and this uh, person that I just met, Nick, uh, we were supposed to wrestle each other, but I had gotten sick. So it was one of those things that I think it was meant to be because one of us would have been bitter if we lost and met up like 10, 15 years later. And uh, so he was like, well, we're running a, a youth tournament. We need some people to help. You willing to help? And I said, absolutely. So I showed up and it was the very first time that I had re-engaged with wrestling in over 10 years. And just seeing the kids again and seeing the look on their faces and the excitement at the youth level, I was hooked. I was back. And so I started volunteering from there. I became the first uh, women's coach for, for Boston Youth Wrestling then a part-time employee, then that led to a full-time opportunity. So I completely transitioned careers from the management that I was doing to, to managing this nonprofit. And then we started working really closely with Beat the Streets Providence at that time. So both independent, you know, Jose Valenzuela started Boston Youth Wrestling. The very same year, Billy Watterson started Beat the Streets Providence. And we always talked about working together. And uh, seven years later, we're, we're making it happen. We're like, you know what, it's time. COVID was a big motivator for that both organizations, uh, the kids needed us and they needed us to be there for them and expand their network during this time. Because now that you go virtual, it actually made things a lot more accessible. So it was a great time to bring all of our kids together, bring all our coaches together, bring our organization together and build out this first regional model where we are taking away from our leaders the things that take time off the map for them, right? So you're talking about HR management, financial management, um, building out campaigns, and just essentially all of the, what I call back of the house operating systems, we centralize that into, into one organization. And then 
empowered each city, so Boston, Providence, and, and coming into this year, Hartford, to focus on the kids and focus on building up those community relations and just take their time doing that. Because as an executive working for Boston, it, it takes up a lot of time. You know, you're expected to be doing administrative work. You're doing a ton of fundraising because it's a zero cost program to our kids and families. And so you want to make sure it stays that way. And so you're always trying to find people who are passionate about youth development, people who are passionate about wrestling and are willing to give and then build out those relationships with your community so that wherever our kids go, that they are um, met with the same uh, warmth and values that we have in our organization. So that was the main point with Beat the Streets New England. It's all right, let's go ahead and join forces and build a really supportive professional organization that now allows our local uh, leaders and coaches to get the best training development that they can get and then in turn deliver those services to our kids and our communities so that they can be the best version of themselves. So if you want to learn more about Beat the Streets New England, you can go to btsne.org and there's all sorts of really rich content there about uh, core values and impact in the communities and different presentations and letters and things to read. I encourage everybody to check that out, btsne.org. Just reading the core value statements, engage, enrich, evolve, educate, and empower. It's kind of pretty uh, pretty highbrow words there. Uh, how are you doing on your mission? We're doing, I, I, I don't want to say surprisingly, but we're doing better than ever because when we brought both the teams together, we were able to really bring out the best in both cities and create our, our centralized programming based on that. Like what were we doing really well and how we can continue to do this moving forward. And so when we talked about uh, our core values, it's actually the journey that our kids take, right? So first we engage them through wrestling. Then we provide enrichment. So this is like social emotional learning. We're talking about uh, the physical fitness part of it. Um, then from there, we're going into education. So we dive into, you know, how to have uh, healthy habits, how to utilize those healthy habits. And there's mentoring and tutoring that goes into that time. So then from educate, we then go into empower. And that's when we start with our coaches and training program, where we're actually hiring our young people to get the same training development as our coaches do. So they're all USA Wrestling certified coaches. You're talking, you know, copper and bronze. They're just as certified as any other coach that you're seeing kind of traveling nationwide. And then they're also developing a lot of great skills. Uh, they started their own business called The Hungry Wrestler. So that actually involved them growing food and, and building sustainable food options in their neighborhoods and then actually providing those uh, fresh fruits and vegetables for free uh, in their communities. And so that was something they felt really passionate about is uh, wrestling and having a really healthy relationship with food and understanding that more is actually better than less. And then the last part of that is empower. And so, or evolve, sorry. And that means going to the next phase of your life. And for too long, we just talked about collegiate opportunities, but there are more opportunities than that. So collegiate, career, uh, trade, and then also service. And that's uh, the journey of our kids through our program. Yeah, it's a beautiful journey. Um, some of the stats that I saw on your website, btsne.org, 500,000 points of engagement, 25,000 meals served. Um, I think 
something like 120,000 hours of mentoring. And so, um, you know, On the Whistle is a show about giving voice to mentors and helping young people find their journey through life and reaching their full potential. And that's really what we'd like to focus on. And I know you guys have made a big investment in coaching training, um, something like I think it takes 150 hours to get certified as a coach. Um, you're also partnering with the Up To Us coaching and mentoring program, and, and we had them on this show as well. It's a really, really interesting program, and it deserves tremendous recognition. But talk to me a little bit about your investment in coaching and how they are taught to mentor because it is so that is the value impact to take yeah. a child who needs that extra hour, that extra 10 minutes. It could be as little as an extra encouragement or acknowledgement. I see you when, when no one else could or can. And so I, I really want to get into that and learn because for me, that's the most interesting thing about programs like yours is the relationship to the child or the player. Yeah, no, it's, it's been such an incredible journey. And the number one thing that we had to learn is that our coaches are our mentors and it's not a separate thing, right? So they're really mentor coaches and that carries into pre-practice, during practice, post-practice, travel, every part, every point of contact that they have with our kids is a mentoring moment. And so how do we build out a program and a curriculum that enhances every opportunity to grow and develop and, and teach our kids? And the first point of that, which you mentioned, was partnering with Up to Us Sports. And we were a very early adopter of that programming and really loving the work that came with like their high impact attributes, trauma informed coaching. Right. And so you are putting yourself through high levels of trauma, even if it's just um, a replication of it through the sport of wrestling, right. You're, you're pre-training for it. You're going into this like combat style, um, like you said, sport where everyone's watching you and you're going to win or lose. You're going to have to take that trauma with you and then do something with it before you have to step on the mat again. And so I thought it was really important to understand what trauma looks like and how do our coaches help um, turn that into something that is, is productive and our kids can move forward and learn from that because that is also a life skill. And that required you know, having all of our coaches go through the up to us curriculum and go through the up to us training. That's 40 hours right there uh, before they even get to start working with us from there up to us has multiple trainings throughout the year, a minimum of seven that's required for our coaches to attend. And then we also take all those lessons from up to us sports and we translate that into what that means for our organization. That part was really important because there was a lot of conversations about like, team sports and maybe sports where you can take a time out or you can take a break. And so a lot of questions were coming up, well, how does this really work in wrestling? And so translating that information in a way that our coaches understood that all these lessons are really valuable. Here's how it works with our sport. And then having to retrain them another 40 hours just to understand how this is going to work in our uh, organization. And then the third layer of that is the USA wrestling training and development. And that talks a lot about the safe sport 
which ties into the trauma-informed coaching and being aware and alert of what to look for when you're working with young people. And then uh, Mike Clayton with USA Wrestling did a really excellent job in building out a coach's system that uh, gives you incredible training from the youth level all the way up to if you want to be one of the U.S. team coaches. And so all three of those things are what our coaches are required to do uh, at some level before the end of their first term with us. So already before they even step on the mat, they're doing about 150 hours and then they're doing another 150 throughout the course of the year. Our young people, when they come work for us, they're going through the exact same system. They are doing 150 hours before they even start their summer work with us. And so everyone's on the same page and it's really important to speak the same language and be consistent, right, for our kids. And it starts with showing up early as a coach. We, we put all these lessons and put all these emphasis on our kids to be early, come your best selves, be ready to learn, and then, uh, you know, reflect on these things. And so we expect the same from our coaches. Like, I'm still going through our system. I'm still going through our curriculum as an adult, and I really value it. And uh, so from the moment you're preparing to be on the mat that day as a mentor coach, you're putting a lot of thought into it. What is our theme for the day? What value are we talking about? What is our question of the day? We're doing a check-in with the kids. We're asking them, you know, how many glasses of water did you have today? How many hours of sleep did you get last night? And what did you eat? And having conversations about it as like a good 30 minutes of our practice is conversation. Because especially with our young boys, there wasn't an emphasis on like talking about what's affecting you, how are you feeling, um, what emotional things are you going through today. And so we wanted a space where that was normal and that was something that was expected. And that turned into our young people being able to have better relationships with the adults in the room that we had highly trained and to be able to have, for some of them, for the first time, a good relationship with an adult that wasn't an authoritative relationship that was like, hey, I'm here for you. I want to know what your goals, hopes, and dreams are, and how do we get you there, right? And it's not just this one linear path. There's multiple options. So that was a long-winded answer of, like, we really value training and development. It's ever-learning, and we have the same expectations for our adults that we do for our kids. Can you give us any examples of some of that training having a positive impact in some of your players' or coaches' lives? Yeah, absolutely. Um, We have multiple students. So we get brought in a lot uh, through referrals. And so we're not really out there trying to like sell the program or pitch it out. It's, it's usually a principal or a dean that's calling us into a school. And they're like, we've heard about your program. We heard that you work with kids who have essentially been kicked out of other programs. And so oftentimes we're kind of like a last chance program for the kids. And, um, they are, they're often said to have, oh, it's behavioral issues or they can't pay attention in class or, you know, they're often getting into fights, all the, all the things that you're used to hearing. And then when you step into the room and you provide these kids with an opportunity to talk about what's happening, you realize, okay, this kid's hungry. This kid's tired. This kid's stressed out. They just need someone to listen and they need a, a safe and healthy outlet to get that stress and energy out. And so, there's a lot of examples of even just our practice program, like daily examples that I have where, you know, we do a check-in fist to five, how are we feeling? Everyone was coming in with a one or a two. And I'm like, that's a little lower goals to get you up by one. But when I start reading their 
pre-reflections for practice. It was like, hey, everyone's water is really low today. What's going on? And they're like, oh, we didn't have like access to water during the school day. And you're like, what do you mean you have access to water during the school day? Yeah, we used the little bubblers. We didn't get delivery today. And so that's going to change the mindset of how you affect practice for the kids. There was another instance where the food count was really low. And we're like, what's going on? It's like, oh, we get our meals delivered. We're midday. We're actually like a class in this one school and lunch was late and the kids hadn't even eaten yet. And so you're going to change your mindset there. And so the kids are often coming to us with, with daily traumas that we're trying to help. Uh, so now our, our coaches come with snacks. Our coaches always have water. Like we're making sure we have everything available for them. And that becomes something that our kids start realizing that it's also their responsibility to care of each other and to take care of their community, to take care of um, anyone around them. And so you see them uh, start being leaders in their classroom. Like even during COVID, we'd have kids coming in to have access to the internet and we can hear just that change in them and them stepping up and talking um, to give other people a voice or to make sure someone's heard or to make sure that everyone had an opportunity to give their opinion in class. And that was really powerful. And then we've had kids who were, uh, there was a high percentage of kids dropping out between eighth and ninth grade. So beat the streets, New England, you know, Boston and Providence was founded with the mission to essentially end that dropout rate from middle school to high school. We want to make sure our kids make it to the next phase of their lives and support them through that. So we have countless examples of kids who just didn't want to go home and they were going to the streets. That's why we're called beat the streets. And so they were getting involved in things like, you know, after school fights or possibly a gang. And they would come to us and be like, I'm afraid to wrestle because I'm afraid to hurt someone. And we're like, we're going to teach you the importance of understanding your power and how to utilize that in a positive way. And, and where so, do you where do you think that's coming from? I'm afraid to hurt somebody because uh, what they learned on the street was more intentional violence to injure. Yeah, intentional violence. I mean, what, and it did the same for me. Like I come from I'm from a country where you know physical uh, you you reprimand your kids physically, and so as a as one of the oldest siblings, I was in charge of raising my brothers and sisters, and so I was actually repeating that cycle. And when I got into wrestling, I was like, Oh, this is like, this should be something you agree upon. You shouldn't be just like inflicting this on someone or you shouldn't be uh, blindsiding someone. This is like, this hurts, you know? And when we brought in kids and they realized that you're not, you have to shake hands right before and after your match, like putting, uh, putting it in, in some regulated format where they understood their power and they understood that actually someone could be more technical than you and beat you. And it's not just about power, right? It's about all these other levels. And so you see the light bulb go off and they're like, Oh, why do I want to do that? Or like, there's no honor in it when I can come here and essentially get that adrenaline, get that energy out and actually feel good about myself afterwards. It's and interesting. Shake you hands use, with that person. Yeah. It's interesting. You use the word honor because there is like a warrior honor in most athletics and it's abiding by the rules and yeah. respecting your opponent and respecting yourself. And it's just a different, it's a different mindset than just violence. Yeah. And it's, it, and I will admit like they make those opportunities very attractive, right? You're after school, you have nowhere to go. Next thing you know, 
there's these people that are like trying to recruit you and talk to you and you're going to be a part of this big thing. You're going to be a part of something special, but you're also going to do X, Y, and Z. And so we're, we're hitting that off early and, and trying to cut that path and saying, Hey, you're going to be part of something cool. You're going to be part of something special. And here's the good things you're going to do with that information. And it's going to change your life in a positive way. And um, it's incredible to see it. You mentioned um, education around food. And I know probably for many of your athletes, there's probably food insecurity or food scarcity in their lives. And then there's also this complexity around making weight in wrestling. Yeah. And, and you mentioned something which I've recently learned about my own body, having lost about 20 something pounds through the change in what I've eaten, mm -hmm. that you can actually eat more if you eat the right stuff. So you can have an unlimited amount of apples and broccoli and actually lose weight versus having just a little of something that has high sugar content for me anyway. No, absolutely. So talk a little bit about that and the conflict around making weight or staying in a weight class and how do you manage that? For, you know, for so long, you, you said, I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to cut all these things out to do that. Right. So you're really just losing body weight. You're not necessarily, uh, water weight, you're not necessarily like burning fat or, you know, you're doing these, these systems in the past. And this is like across multiple sports that had to make a certain weight class. It wasn't just wrestling. So this is just us learning as, um, as athletes and as organizations to really prioritize putting the right foods in your body. And so when you're not doing it that way, and you're kind of taking these really extreme measures, it becomes harder and harder to maintain a weight and maintain a weight class because the bounce back is, is tough. And your body is really intelligent. We have to give it credit. Like it's, it's gotten us through a lot. It's and remarkable. so your body, yeah, your body starts understanding like, wait a second, this is not going to end well. I'm going to start getting some reserves in here and I'm going to hold on to what I need to, to survive. And so that practice um, was something that we have done for a really long time. And there's been the science to support that for, for many years, it's everything's really simple. Everything's already been done. It's just, taking it, bringing it into the sport, acknowledging the importance of it, and then sharing with everyone and changing a mindset of an entire sport to do that. And you're right, it's, it's fresh foods. It's having access to fresh foods, right? And then on top of that, it's understanding if you don't have access to the foods that you need, what modifications can you make to the food that you do have access to, to start building those healthy habits? And that's how we started. Uh, because I knew that I could go to some kids and be like, well, go to the store and pick this up. But not every kid had that chance. So I started asking, what do you have at home? What are, what are you making for dinner tonight? Or what's being given to you tonight? Can you ask them not to put salt in that? Can you ask them to kind of modify this and this? And it started with little modifications. Once they got comfortable with modifications, it started with providing access to fresh food. So we're a no miss meal program. We make sure that we always have healthy snacks available, that we're partnering with organizations that bring healthy snacks to, to schools. So you're talking like apples, carrots, all these great um, energy providers and making sure that's available to our kids between class and practice. And then at any event that we go to, so we're not just buying pizzas, we're actually bringing uh, smart food to fuel their bodies. And so we did a study and we said, all right, this year we're gonna make sure that every single practice and every single event has these foods available to them. And then we tracked our kids' weights. And every kid either maintained weight 
or naturally lost weight without having to cut because we purposely did not put anyone in a weight class where they'd have to cut weight. But we knew that based on their body fat, if they naturally um, lost weight, that they'd be able to continue to wrestle in, in the lower weight class. And the results were there. We, the kids ate, they ate healthy, they ate regularly, they knew what we were bringing every time. It was the same foods. They were excited for it because they were eating and it was a change habit. And then at the end of the year, we saw that they were excelling in their, you know, in the sport because they had energy and that they had maintained our loss weight. And that was really important. So one, providing food, two, education around food. So in the summer, our CITs, our coaches in training, they actually um, manage two community gardens and they grow their own food. And that's part of their business, The Hungry Wrestler. And then they make sure that that food is free and accessible to anyone who needs it. So people can come to our office. We also are a meal site all through COVID. That's we've actually done 30,000 meals uh, at this point that have been given out to any kid in need. They can just come to our office and get the food. And then on top of the 30,000 meals, we've had like a pantry for anything additional that they might need and then access to fresh fruits and vegetables that we've grown all summer to get back to the community. And our kids are the ones that they're creating a cookbook around it. They are uh, writing a garden blog and log and, you know, getting really excited about the vegetables and what the benefits are and um, learning. And just like they uh, started seedlings three weeks ago and to see how quickly they're growing, like having them name their seedlings and get really excited about seeing like, uh, I don't know, what was the fastest one to grow? Like a beet is coming in and they're all excited that the beets are starting to grow. And you're seeing these teenagers that you, would be like, why would we do that? That's like ridiculous. Why would you waste time with that? You're seeing them get excited about something and get invested in something and watch something grow as simple as like taking nine weeks during the summer to just watch something grow and become really attached to that process. They take that with them. They see fresh foods now. They're like, ah, I grew that. I know that this has this and this and this in it. This is why it's beneficial. And this is how it tastes. And I'm more likely to grab that versus something unhealthy for me. Any program that gets children involved in a physical activity and excited about vegetables is remarkable content. Uh, you know, we like to wrap up the show with a, a question we ask all our guests. You know, you've obviously competed in a lot of different events and you've done some coaching um, and obviously, you know, tournaments and things like that. What have you gained more from the wins or the losses? The losses, 100 percent. My very first loss, my very first lesson in wrestling has stuck with me for life. And that was, I thought I was ready. You come in, you're like, yeah, I've been working hard. I've been taking people down in practice. It was a home match. It was my only match that my mom went to. I got pinned in less than 30 seconds. And I just heard my mom screaming, oh my God, you're killing her in the background. So embarrassing. And I just remember getting up. And at that point, you make a choice, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to do this again or I'm out. And I walked off the mat and the very first thing someone said to me was, this is why girls shouldn't wrestle. And I was like, not only am I going to prove you wrong, like I'm going to do something big with this. And so that carried with me for life. Even when I left wrestling for a while, I always knew that I'd be back because wrestling never leaves you. And so the losses are where you learn the most. Uh, we have this one program called Wrestleback and Wrestleback is we work with restorative justice practices, the, um, the juvenile system and long-term foster care for kids who are experiencing high level of trauma. And for those of you who don't know what like, like a wrestleback bracket is, is when you face a loss at a wrestling tournament, you get put into this consolation bracket or this wrestleback bracket. 
And it's very easy to just lose your next match and be out, go get a slice of pizza or something. But the kid who wrestles their way back, all the way back to get third, is always, for me, the toughest kid in that tournament. You can ask any coach there and be like, that kid who wrestled back for third is incredible. And that's the kid that I want on my team. And so we take that concept into life as well. And knowing that these kids who have experienced a significant loss or an obstacle, that those are going to be the strongest kids and you can build them up give them the opportunity to just get on the podium and they'll continue to move up in life. So those losses mean so much and you learn so much from them. I love it. Wrestle back. If people want to participate and reach out to you and help beat the streets, New England, btsne.org, how should they contact you and how can they, how can they help donate? Absolutely. Yeah. So you can uh, go on our website Sign up for our newsletter. Uh, we put out a lot of incredible content. You always know what's going on. Uh, so we spotlight both Boston and Providence and new things that we're doing. On our website, you can always donate. Uh, this is a zero-cost program to kids and families, which means we are raising every dollar for a pair of shoes, for mouth guards, for singlets, for travel opportunities, for vegetables, you know, for all these great things that keep us running. Uh, we need your love and support. And then on top of that, you can follow us on social media. We are... Uh, on Twitter, on, you know, Instagram, Facebook, you name it, we're on it. Hopefully TikTok soon. And uh, you can follow Beat the Streets New England, but also you can still check out Boston Youth Wrestling and Beat the Streets Providence if you want city-specific content as well. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Really a pleasure. BTSNE.org. Looking forward to staying in touch with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is really great. On the Whistle is powered by Squad Locker. Squad Locker is your one-stop shop for customized team apparel, delivered right to your front door. To learn more, visit squadlocker.com.